0: Well, hello there ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have two special guests. They are sisters. They are Sarah and Ashley Armstrong, known as the Strong Sisters on Instagram, and they're just awesome individuals. They do all kinds of carnivore cooking. They're trying to get into regenerative agriculture and farming, and they, they're big into lifting, powerlifting, bodybuilding, power building, and we kind of dove into what their motivation is behind carnivore and what's led them down that path. We talked about what their plans are for really optimizing nose to tail. We talked about why they're wanting to get into raising their own, uh, you know, animals and slaughtering their own food and, and just being truly farm to fork. And I really, really resonated with everything they said because I'm trying to do many of the same things myself. So it turned into a great conversation, totally natural, organic conversation. Like we just got lost in conversation. And those are the best podcasts because it's just, it's just right. It just feels good. Um, So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed talking with them. Um, I think you will. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and learn something with Sarah and Ashley. And we are live. Sarah and Ashley, how are you?
1: Doing great. Thank you so much for having us on.
0: My pleasure, my pleasure. I apologize in advance because uh, the last time we scheduled it, I fell through. So please forgive me for that one. We'll make up for it today.
1: Oh, for, no problem at all.
0: <laughs> so, y'all are making waves in the carnivore space. Uh, to be frank, I mean, I feel like not too long ago, you know, y'all's y'all's presence on social media was just in its infancy stages, and then boom, like I can't I can't go through a day without seeing y'all stuff. And all y'all stuff is incredibly yeah. unique and creative, and it's just awesome.
1: Well, we we appreciate yep, that. We've you. honestly never been so passionate about something in our life, so it's really easy to share something when you are thriving and loving everything that you're doing. So I think that it's been a really fun journey to get to where we are now, um, and we've never been so aligned with our like goals, passions, missions. It's it's really fun. I
0: love it. I love it. That's that's the name of the game, finding something that you're passionate about and then waking up and grinding away at it every single day because you want to.
1: Yes. Exactly.
0: So I'd love to kind of get some backgrounds on both of y'all stories. I mean, y'all are sisters, y'all are living the same, uh, you know, nutritional profile and just making, like I said, waves. So just kind of give the listeners some, some background as to how you got in this space in the first place.
1: Yeah. So Ashley here, uh, Sarah and I have always been into health and wellness for many, many years. Um, we were doing powerlifting, bodybuilding if it fits your macros, kind of the standard, like high carb, low fat approach for many years. Mm-hmm. Then we started to experience some negative symptoms and these just started to build up t- over time and we weren't really getting the answers that we wanted from our doctors. And so we kind of started to take, um, our health into our own hands and kind of explore some other options. Um, Sarah actually went to a rheumatologist to get some blood work done cause she was experiencing, you want to talk about some of those symptoms?
2: Yeah. So I think more related to like fitness and nutrition. So our symptoms were, we were experiencing a lot of unnecessary joint pain from the gym. So we were never recovering from our lifts and it was just very interesting because we were pretty young back then and we're not old now either, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And so first two people who were pretty health conscious and, you know, tracking our macros and hypothetically trying to, you know, cut for a powerlifting me or, obtain a physique we wanted. It was unnecessarily difficult to lose any fat. So we saw that as a lot of metabolic dysfunction. Um, And then so unrelated to fitness and nutrition, or nutrition it is related to, but other symptoms were like skin issues. So rashes on our face. I had no circulation in my hands and my feet. So Raynaud's. Really, really bad digestion, like constipation. Ashley dealt with chronic constipation. Yeah. bloating, brain fog fatigue, the typical things that people relieve when they go to the ketogenic diet, right? Um, so these are all things that we started to deal with at a pretty young age, and it just didn't really make sense because we thought we were doing everything right for our health. So like as she said, I ended up at a rheumatologist who diagnosed me with undifferentiated connective tissue disease, which is basically just saying like, hey, you're going to develop an autoimmune condition. It's probably looking like lupus based on your symptoms and some of your other blood work. We just don't know exactly yet. So we'll prescribe you these medications so you can cover up your symptoms so she never said anything about changing my diet or changing my lifestyle the only thing she said about my lifestyle was that you're probably not going to be able to lift heavy anymore because of the joint pain and so that was really discouraging and at that time we didn't know anything having to do with like the power of being in ketosis or
1: fasting or carnivore i think it'd be important to say our diet at the time like i said was high carb low fat but it was in no way standard American diet processed foods. It was very vegetable heavy, um, low meat, kind of more egg white and egg consumption for mm-hmm. our protein. Yeah, we, we like to call ourselves, it was vegan. So we were vegan
2: <laughs> with egg whites.
1: Yeah. Cause let's be real. We did not eat the yolks with that low and fat diet. And we did diet. some like the whole grains. And so yeah. if the doctor looked at our nutrition, they would say that we were doing everything right. And so it was just discouraging to hear that, hey, this is something you're gonna have to just deal with. Yeah. other things were like uh, mental issues. So
2: like depression, anxiety. And so the reason that we are on this mission and so passionate about sharing our lifestyle now is because I personally see so many people in general, but also just females going through these issues and acting as if they're normal. Like, Oh, it's just a part of aging. Yeah. It's it's like the, even just bloat, as simple as bloat and poor digestion, like being told that constipation is normal and struggling with these issues. And then you see their diet and it's like, lentil beans and (laughs) whole grains (laughs) tofu yeah and it's discouraging and that's why we are so passionate now about sharing this mission because we know firsthand what it's like to just completely change your life
0: well it's kind of crazy because so many of these things that people go through on a day-to-day basis like you would never think there's anything wrong with it it's just part of the day like you don't have anything to compare it to and then you get on keto and you recognize that oh it's not normal to have chronic constipation or brain fog or all these digestive issues.
1: Exactly. And so we that's we started with fasting. So after that doctor's visit, we were like, you know what, we're going to try to take our health into our own hands. So we started with intermittent fasting. That led us to keto. And then we were still doing very much a plant-based keto approach. So mm-hmm. we would have mounds of low-carb vegetables, a ton of bok choy and stuff like that on our plate and really still egg white and egg focused. in my- a lot of our symptoms were relieved, but my constipation was still there and it was really frustrating. I've been dealing with this for like over 10 years and it was common for me to not poop for like six, seven, eight days. Um, so that's ultimately the chronic constipation is really what led me to try the carnivore diet. And I was like, you know what, I'll just, I'll try it for 30 days. And so I kind of made a complete drastic shift in my diet from plant-based keto approach to full carnivore.
0: Did you ever have like a period where you did more of an animal-based keto or was it basically plant-based keto to full carnivore?
1: Mm, I would say it was plant-based keto to uh, full carnivore. It was
2: mostly plant-based keto to full carnivore. We would, we started incorporating like a little bit of ground beef, but like, I don't know. We, we were always about like optimizing our volume of food. <laughs> you understand this yeah, it, yeah? for for bodybuilding. Oh, my God. I remember watching a video of yours where you were doing – um <laughs> Miracle the, rice. Miracle Oof. rice.
0: Yeah, I've I've been known to eat two and a half pounds of that in a sitting. That's that's a little too much.
2: Oh my god, it's hilarious. But so we're very like minded in that way, and so we would always go for like higher volume foods. And so a lot of times that's that's actually not meat. So it's very ironic that we live this lifestyle now. Mm-hmm. Um so I would we we were never like we were never animal based keto. I would not yeah. I would argue against that. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's interesting. I'd be curious to know, like, with all the benefits that you're seeing with carnivore. If most of those would also be applicable if you are an animal-based keto version because like it's funny because there's there's like all these different subcultures within the low carb space. I mean you've got paleo, keto, low carb carnivore, and yeah, yeah, I feel like I feel like a properly well formulated ketogenic diet is pretty similar to a carnivore diet with the addition of some other you know variety like I, I pretty much eat carnivore with keto bricks. That's pretty much my version of diet, you know, um, and that's worked pretty well for me, but I feel like as long as you have animal as the base, then that's pretty much like your classic 80, 20, you're going to be getting most of the benefits there.
2: Oh, I think that like we a hundred percent agree with that. And especially now, like after looking into everything and recognizing what was actually going wrong with all of the, the plants so like the high levels of toxins we were eating. If somebody's eating mostly animal based products, they're already avoiding most of those unnecessary issues. And then. We do a lot of posting about like the benign carb sources, or even like things like your keto brick that aren't just loaded with anti-nutrients. If you're avoiding those for the most part, and you're able to include other things like avocados or something that you enjoy in your diet, but you're eating
1: animal-based, I we 100% agree. I I totally yeah. I think the most important thing is being animal-based, but it also depends on where you are along your healing journey. So if you're someone who's dealing with like a severe autoimmune condition, hey yeah, strict carnivore for a while to heal your gut may work best but then in the future your body will be more resilient to these things and including like benign carb sources and taking more of a keto approach totally fine yeah 100% agree
0: um, what, do you, what do you think about like the different um, you know ratios of proteins and fats and like there's a lot of people pushing for higher protein and for a while there in the keto sector there was just this fear of protein which I think is you know, way too much going the wrong direction, but I feel like, you know, that it's interesting times right now because you've got all these debates between high protein versus high fat. Uh, so I'd be curious to kind of get y'all's take on it.
1: Yeah. So I ultimately think it depends on your goal. So for our first like 10 months on carnivore, we wanted to build muscle. So we were in a caloric surplus and I would argue that we're relatively lean individuals. And so, if you're really active and really lean and aren't consuming carbs, you need to consume fat for energy or else we felt like crap. So we took definitely more of a higher fat approach to the carnivore diet. I don't know how much you (laughs) watched our stories, but it's very clear. We pound down a lot of raw beef suet Mm -hmm. and that is very calorically dense, very high fat. It it is fat. Um, So I think if you're someone who isn't really looking to lose weight and is kind of more focused on performance with this way of life. I think that the high fat approach is super, super important, especially for female hormones. 100% uh,
0: agree. Like, yeah. That is, <laughs> that, that, put yeah. the words right out of my mouth. I see so many people arguing for high protein, minimal fat for performance. And I'm like, uh, that's just not what you want to do to optimize.
1: But I would say that you shouldn't, if you're lift, so we lift like five to six days a week. If you're working out a lot, I would not skimp on the protein either. So it ultimately comes down to being, you need a lot of calories and having high fat and high protein, I would say is beneficial.
0: Totally agree. And both of y'all are eating a pretty significant amount of calories currently, right?
1: So we just started a cut um, a few weeks ago and we were, I was sitting closer to like 2,400 calories while I was on carnivore. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm closer down to like 2000. I'm doing a slower cut approach. I don't want to do anything super fast and quick. And so I don't really have like an end date of this cut. I'm just kind of taking it week by week. And Sarah's taking that Sarah's is, is Yeah.
2: So on the topic of like metabolic dysfunction that we were dealing with before even coming to keto. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> for my bikini competition, which I did prep keto, my first coach didn't have me doing keto and it was this whole it just went terribly wrong. But um when I was prepping my metabolism, I just never gave it time to, to improve or heal. And so my calories were at like a thousand a day. And I know that's pretty typical for bikini competitors, but I just don't see that obviously as sustainable, like it's not. And now it's, it's crazy because I'm able to, my, Ashley said like right now, my cutting macros are like at 18, 1900. So just seeing that fluctuation is amazing just to see like how much better your body is tolerating these foods.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I, I figured that's what y'all would say. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to say it because, you know, I feel like women in particular need to hear that, hear from other lean women, particularly that, you know, not to be afraid of calories. I see so many females, uh, males too, but typically females coming to me desiring to cut body fat, but they have like no baseline that's in a healthy position. I mean, they're starting at like sub 1200 calories. Uh, they've been chronically under eating their entire life and they're just scared to titrate calories back up. Uh, so to hear that y'all were starting at 2400 for the cut, you know, that, that's a healthy intake, especially given y'all's, you know, height and size and whatnot. So I feel like more women need to recognize that having a ample amount of calories is not the bad thing.
1: Oh, I totally agree. I think best advice I could give to someone who's kind of reached a fat loss or weight loss stall and is closer to the 1200 calories is take a break, take a break, reset that metabolism, increase your calories back up. So that way you're at a place, a more comfortable place where you can cut your calories. Cause at 1200, where do you go from there? You, you are honestly pretty stuck and it. There is research showing that your metabolism can adapt to that and Tapping below a thousand calories just is just not sustainable, not fun.
0: Totally. And what's interesting is that you know I've I've done all kinds of caloric manipulation experimentation over the years of bodybuilding, and you know the whole concept. I mean, calories obviously do count. Like calories matter. There's people in the keto space that suggest that it's not it's not part of the equation, okay. but it's obviously Angry part either. of the equation. Yeah. Um, but one interesting factor is that when I'm in a surplus, like when I'm going, you know, post show reverse that in a building phase, I can tolerate a significant amount of calories surplus much, much better when I'm like taking in ketogenic, you know, carnivorous foods versus that of a carbohydrate base. Like I can take in, you know, five thousand plus calories from a ketogenic source and not have near the unnecessary body fat gain that I would had I been taking that in from carbs. And I feel like anybody that needs to ramp up calories, increase their in metabolism baseline if they're doing so from like a ketogenic or carnivore-style dieting approach, they're going to kind of hedge their bets against any adverse effects.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm sure it has a lot to do with insulin sensitivity, too, and mm-hmm. just being more receptive to those carbs that you are eating in general. Yeah.
0: Totally. So what from like a training standpoint with y'all building muscle, focusing on powerlifting and bodybuilding, uh, you know, not so much the cutting aspect, but actually just building muscle tissue, what's that been like following up carnivore-style?
1: So this is this is really funny. So we have been into powerlifting and kind of just – we like to call it power building, so focusing on both powerlifting and incorporating accessory movements for uh, bodybuilding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We've been doing this now for probably like around 10 years, and it was always super hard for us to put on muscle. And in this past 10, 11 months that I've been carnivore, I've put on more muscle mass than I have in my whole life, and I really think it comes down to like getting – bioavailable protein. Whereas before focusing on egg whites and eggs and then getting, you know, you get caught up in if it fits your macros and you know, if you pound down like a ton of bok choy that has residual protein. And so I would be tracking that residual protein and be like, oh, I hit my body weight in protein today. I'm good. But was it actually the best type of protein that I could be fueling my body with? So I really have noticed firsthand, um, significantly more muscle growth with this way of life. Um, of course, you have to have that training stimulus and be able to increase the amount of weight and load that you're putting on your muscles. But I think the quality of the protein is also very important.
0: Totally agree. And I imagine your ability to train more frequently is improved because your recovery time is much shorter because there's no inflammation.
2: Oh, yeah. Like we, we would do one squat workout in the past. Um, this was before Keto Carnivore. And we would have like extreme hip pain and our form is, is the exact same now. And we are as bad at stretching <laughs> now that we were back then. Um, but we, we would deal with significant hip pain and just even just joints in my fingers, like from gripping the bar tight would be unbearable. And now that it's just gone, which just shows how much
1: inflammation has to do with all of this. It's crazy. I would be able to squat one time and then I'd have to take like a few weeks off and do leg press instead. Yeah, so and now, ultimately you're going
2: to gain less muscle. Yeah,
1: and now I can squat two to three times a week, totally fine. Yeah.
0: And see, I noticed the same thing, and I feel like that's one of the things that doesn't really get talked about and highlighted as much as it should. I mean, when you're able to recover that quickly in between a training session, I mean, that's, that's happening on a metabolic and a cellular level too. I mean, even that, that goes unnoticed. I mean, like I don't even have headaches like I used to. Like all the inflammation in your entire body is just, greatly reduced when you switch to your fuel source
2: yeah and when you think about it like if you're somebody who's super active in the gym and you're lifting a lot of weights like inflammation is something that you're just going to have to deal with like it's inevitable you actually have to have some sort of you know that stimulates to grow but if you can reduce that in other ways of your life then like that's only gonna better your case for putting on muscle and just being overall healthier so it is really interesting that I agree with you in that it is not talked about the amount of inflammation reduction and what that has to do with training. And that is a huge plus for keto because we always get shit on by typical bodybuilders and like, Oh, you can't train without the carbs and stuff. Well, it's like, well, I'd argue that I'm actually training more consistently because my body feels better yes. more consistently.
0: You know, I, I don't know what it is about bodybuilders. And I feel like I can say this cause I am a bodybuilder, but for whatever reason, they are some of the most bullheaded ignorant people because i've been preaching this message for the past 10 years or i guess 6 years that i've been keto and i feel like i've done a pretty good job illustrating my results with keto and it's like they still don't believe it.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. <Yeah, absolutely. laughs> honestly, like honestly, one of the, this is crazy, but one of the biggest reasons why we were so hesitant to go keto was oh my gosh, our gym performance, our powerlifting performance. And to be honest, we stumbled across your page and we're like Wow, wait, there's an actual bodybuilder clearly kicking butt on this way of life. And honestly, your story and your transformation was one of the huge reasons why we said, you know what, let's try out keto. Yeah. And like you were
2: saying, you're able to tolerate more food in that reverse, like during your bulking stages. And obviously, that's appealing to somebody yes. who, who loves food. And I like, will yeah. eat more. I mean, you eat more food, you can train harder. So it's like, hell yeah, I'll try
0: that. 100%. 100%. What about like, I'm assuming y'all don't really have any kind of carb ups or anything, right?
1: So I sometimes, Ashley here, I sometimes include uh, pre or intro workout carbs, but not a lot at all. Um, I think that that's a huge misconception is like how much you actually need to include to feel anything. So I, the way I see it is there's that um, study out there showing that for fat adapted athletes, the muscle glycogen replenishment rate is, is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see more studies on um, resistance training. However, my thoughts, is if you have a long gym session and if you do the type of training that I do, which is power building, where you have your main strength movement and then you follow it with like intense accessory movements, your muscle glycogen levels have got to be slightly depleted at some point during that training session. And so I sometimes like to include carbs as intra workout to just top off those muscle glycogen stores. Um, and it's almost like an instant energy source. I'm talking like 10 to 15 grams of carbs. It is a very small amount. Um, and I don't like to include it that often really only on my lower body days because my lower body is always going to be my main muscle focus days. Um, I actually haven't included carbs in like over a month now. Um, but I, I'm going to be honest, I do feel a difference for intense power building lower body sessions where I do not consume carbs with intra-workout carbs. I, I do feel a slight difference.
0: What, uh, what, what exactly is that difference? Just like more sustained energy throughout the workout?
1: Yeah. Um, basically that I'm able to just maintain that training stimulus and be able to keep my energy throughout the rest of the lift. I don't notice – To be honest, I do not notice a difference in more strength movements. So like, let's say I had squats, like sets of two or three. I don't really feel a difference. Where I kind of feel the difference is more of the intense, uh, like eight to 12 rep ranges where you're still pushing heavy weight and it's already after your main movement. So let's say I've got like squats and then I've got hip thrusts and then like good mornings and then accessories. So it's kind of more of those secondary movements where I kind of feel the difference. Did you see the amount? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So small. Still keto. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's like I'm I'm not kick if I'm kicking myself out of ketosis, it's during the lift and I don't feel a difference afterwards because it's ten to fifteen grams of carbs. Yeah. Absolutely or not. I'm not <laughs> kicking myself out of ketosis.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that is a, a good point to make for sure. I mean, I see so many people that I mean for a while there the whole targeted cyclical keto thing was really hot and there was people that had no business taking any carbs i mean their idea of a workout was doing a load of laundry and they would take in you know a carb up of 150 grams 200 grams the night before laundry day and it's like okay wait a minute here
1: exactly oh my gosh
0: and honestly i I feel like i mean this is kind of my hypothesis i don't know how i could you know prove this but this is just my theory um i've been keto for for so many years strictly like i haven't broken that chain for so long that i feel like the length of adaptation plays a major factor in your ability to replenish glycogen to the extent that if you are keto long enough, you can basically mitigate any downside effect of not having those intra workout carbs. But the problem is most people, just because of the way that human psychology works and, you know, life events, et cetera, et cetera, they're not really going to stay that strict keto for that long. So they would probably benefit from those you know, trace amounts of carbs into workout. workout. Um, and again, this is just a theory, but like I'll superset everything throughout the entire workout. I'll train for an hour and a half, two hours. And I feel like a million bucks throughout the whole thing, even in a caloric deficit that I'm in now with the prep. But I feel like that's only recently been the case. And I've been strict keto for five, six years now. When I was keto for six months, that wasn't necessarily the case.
1: Yeah, no, you bring up a great point. Um, the length of fat adaptation could definitely... Play a role in one's ability to continuously apply increasing training loads on a ketogenic diet. For sure.
0: Yeah, just I wish there was like a, a legitimate scientific way to study that. But I mean, we're gonna have a hard exactly. time finding people to do a case study for six years.
1: Yeah,
2: true.
0: So I feel like one of y'all's main strong suits in the space is that y'all are just wizards when it comes to creating tasty foods in the kitchen while not breaking the carnivore, you know, guidelines. So kind of dive into that, like flesh that out a little bit. What, what, what's, what's up your sleeve? Like, how do you make all these recipes? Like what do you, what's your inspiration here?
2: Oh my gosh. Okay. So we were just, in the beginning, we kind of mentioned about like the volume eating and you totally understand, stand that with your miracle rice. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we've always been foodies. We love food. Um, even when we were just like plant-based keto, we would make these colorful plates, like literally hitting every single vegetable possible And so that obviously just transferred to carnivore, like that's never going to go away, even if it's a quote restrictive diet, which it's not. Um, So we challenge ourselves to take a very nose to tail approach because we find that's way more sustainable. Um, And it's a lot of fun because you get to experiment with a lot of different parts of the animal that you'd otherwise like honestly never come across or just never experience. And so a lot of these parts are like, just for example, like pigtail or something, something completely random. But within pigtail, you can get like four different tastes and textures. So it's just awesome to be able to experiment with these. The main reason we started experimenting with nose to tail is because um, literally like a year ago now, or like beginning of last summer, 2019, Dr. Paul Saladino approached us because he saw Ashley's carnivore waffles recipe, which is just an all meat waffle. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, Hey guys, like I'm writing a book, let's do a cookbook together. So we were tasked with making this like extensive nose to tail carnivore cookbook. So that entire summer, I don't think we left the kitchen once No, we made uh, over 150 recipes. And so that just like really pushed us to have to get creative in the kitchen. And it was one of the best experiences we've ever had. So that's why we're like always sharing like a new creative bump in platter. Um, And we still haven't (laughs) been able to share these recipes yet. The cookbook is, is hopefully coming out within the next like two to three months, but that's, where the inspiration came from. And now it's, it's just so much fun. If you're a foodie, you understand, you know?
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny because like when I'm in a a caloric surplus and I almost dread eating food, it's like, I don't, I just eat and get it down and then I'm done. But now that I'm in a deficit, like I'm just super excited to start cooking all these creative things with all these different colors and different textures and different seasonings. And I'm like looking at what y'all are doing with, totally carnivorous foods and I'm like now that's what I'm talking about it's probably not good that I watch your stories because it's just making me (laughs) that much hungrier but uh but I do respect the fact that that y'all take a nose-to-tail approach and are able to make it fun and creative because I feel like not having a lot of food variety is one of the main reasons people veer away from carnivore so for y'all to kind of just totally shoot that theory down is is pretty cool
1: yeah honestly you hit the point I was going to just bring up is like our goal is ultimately to show our generation that this is an optimal way of life. And if, you know, with the current era, people are very tied to certain foods. They're tied to very certain textures. So for example, like spongy bread texture, well, Hey, we can create those same textures and those same ideas of foods with a carnivore way of life. And so we're really trying to show that, yeah, there's, you think it's so restrictive. Oh, just like animal meats only, but there you can make so many different textures if you take the nose to tail approach.
0: Is there like any way for y'all to give us a little teaser on like a particular recipe that you are fond of that is less commonly known in the carnivore space or that, that's a little premature because the book hadn't come out yet.
2: Oh my gosh. There's so many. Okay. Let's just go. So there's obviously just legit tortillas. So we've made tacos. Um, Shoot! Shoot them off. I made some cookies with incredible texture. Oh my gosh!
1: Speaking of miracle rice, we have oh a recipe for you. We make <laughs> carnivore rice. We can't share yet, but it's like it's like carnivore rice pudding. Like tap- tapioca
2: would be the consistency and yeah. texture I would relate it to. So we got you. <laughs> and, Very excited.
0: And like, are you like? I'm assuming with some of these, like, with well, cookies, for instance, like you're adding some type of sweetener, right? Like stevia.
1: Well, so there's a few options on carnivore for sweeteners. So on one hand, there's the zero calorie, more natural based plants, you know, so the stevia and the monk fruit. So mm-hmm. It's not very carnivore, but if, if you don't have issues with those, then they're totally fine. We personally do not have issues with those and so we include those from time to time. However, if you are someone who wants to just completely avoid artificial sweeteners, you can use glycine powder.
0: Glycine's amazing.
1: Yeah, it it really is. It's so cool and it is fully carnivore and I think that that's a underused supplement, I guess, um, to be able to sweeten things slightly, and a little bit goes a long way there for sure. And then of course, if you're not like carb
2: conscious, um, honey's technically carnivore, yeah. So that's another option. But most of the recipes in the cookbook um, are based on glycine or optional honey.
0: And what are what are some some body parts that were you know that you can get? that most people just discard and throw to the wayside but y'all have found to be incredibly nutrient dense and try to incorporate I know you incorporate the suet, so let's just, let's just talk about suet for a second I ordered yeah. a five pound bag of suet after watching a couple of y'all stories
1: yeah so honestly you got to think about a cow a cow is fat right like you look at a cow from the front and the, the belly hangs out on the side so there the cow has a ton of fat and most of the time that fat is not used as an example, like the company butcher box sells like just the premium cuts of the animal, like the steaks and stuff, like mm-hmm. where does all that fat go? And so we just like to promote trying to use the whole animal. And you think about how much of the animal is fat. Um, so suet specifically though, is the fat around the kidney. I don't know if you've had beef suet versus beef fat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Fat trimmings. So the fat trimmings is just going to come from all around the animal, but the beef fat Trimmings and beef suet have different melting points, so therefore the consistency is different. Um and so we like to we really like the texture of suet and um think that it is a great raw animal fat source to include, especially for someone like you who takes a higher fat approach. Um, because when we started carnivore, we started including like a lot of rendered fats like butter, ghee, just like downing those, and our digestion definitely suffered. But concentrating a little bit more on these like raw animal fat sources such as raw beef suet it, our digestion has definitely improved
0: and the macros on suet, if i remember correctly like one ounce is like 28 grams of fat for every 0. 0.4 grams of protein so it's like a really good way to ramp up your fat intake if you need to
2: oh yeah it's pretty much just straight fat and there's there's other options too in carnivore like iberical pork fat or things like um pork fat, bone yeah. marrow Bumarol has a little bit more protein in it than suet. Yeah, that is a, a reason that we do enjoy it because that way we can get our protein in, in just like a steak or something that we enjoy, and then get that extra side of fat with the suet. But in terms of like other parts that you were saying that usually people just discard that we really enjoy, this one's going to sound weird. Oh my gosh, I know. One what of you're going our idea. favorite ones is pig trotters. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So pig, tr- <laughs> pig trotters is one of those parts that I said like you can get multiple different tastes and textures within one bite. So you've got the, co- the collagen. It's very high in collagen. So that's like skin. really the skin. the skin. So it's like very gelatinous and you can crisp that up so you can get it crunchy. Then you've got like the meat in there and you've also got fat. So it's got like everything you could possibly fries. want in one bite. And it's a, it's a foot. Like nobody eats that, but you should, it's so good. And when we're thinking about like balancing our methionine to glycine ratios, it's really helpful to include things like that in your diet, like oxtail or, trotters or pig, pig skin. skin in general because it's going to help with that collagen even though I, I'm sure you know you don't want to like obviously overdo the collagen because you need other sources of protein to actually build your body mm-hmm. but it is something to think about.
0: Totally agree I mean I feel like having a nose tail approach is is key for a lot more reasons than people give it credit for like I know there's a debate going on right now as to the actual you know nutrient demands the body like can you just as easily live off of you know rib eyes every day and the answer probably is yes but i don't necessarily think it's optimal from a nutrient density standpoint but then even more so i don't think it's optimal from like a you know sustainability and environmental standpoint like i feel like if you're gonna you know slaughter an animal it doesn't make sense to just take the primo cuts like you should make the most use of all that animal like that's why i hunt and that's why i try and salvage everything i can from what i kill
1: hundred percent. That is something that we are incredibly passionate about is being sustainable carnivores and doing what we can to try to use the entire animal. Yeah. I think it's awesome that you
2: hunt. That is something we'd like to get into. One yeah. Day. That would be so fun. It would probably be the biggest fail for both of us, <laughs> but, um, that's why we want to like within the next year, we will be starting our own farm, re- regenerative farm, raising our own cattle and s- spreading that mission more. So like that is a direction that we're going to take. Our social media is because when you think about a lot of people in our generation and a lot of females, they, they care about sustainability and that's why they're going plant-based, failing to recognize all the downfalls and pitfalls within the plant-based movement, like the monocropping and tillage of the fields and destroying the soil. So they, they, they care about the same thing as us, they're just taking a different approach. And so if we can demonstrate how to be a sustainable and regenerative carnivore, I think that would be really helpful in further pushing this animal-based movement.
0: We're speaking the same language now. I mean, my dad is a biologist. This is what he practices and preaches every day. This is just how I was raised. I mean, we've grown up on land with animals. like We've had chickens, lambs, horses, all that. And I'm looking to buy some land right now so that I can basically start doing the same thing on my own plot. Um, so uh-huh. I'd love to kind of just dive into what y'all's plans are re- regarding the regenerative agriculture.
1: Yeah, this is something that's incredible. Yeah. Like, totally. You should. Totally we'll have to, to do that as soon as possible. We'll have to yeah. stay in communication as we start this. Um, so, first generation farmers. We are. We grew up in a suburb of Chicago, so lived on a golf course kind of thing. So this is all new to us. However, we have spent in the last year a ton of time at our local farmers. Um, so doing, we like, internships. Doing inter- Sarah did an internship last fall kinda of getting some first hand experience with farming. And so we will hundred percent be learning every single day, but why like why not start something when you're afraid or you don't think you know enough? We're just going to dive in. Um probably early next year. Yeah. So Ashley has to finish her PhD first and then after that we
2: are hitting the countryside. Yeah.
0: So do you have like land picked out or like where are you at in this stage because I, I just want to like i want all the details because this is incredibly fascinating to me
2: yeah so of course we'll document the entire thing on youtube it like it will be like the largest joke because we are the last two people you would think would ever farm <laughs> but it's okay um so we don't necessarily have land picked out um, we have two options right we have now. two options our parents live on like 10 acres so they could potentially lease us that land and we would graze on there to begin with Um, but then we're also looking, our end goal is to end up in like, uh, Southwest Michigan. Michigan. So we would ideally look for land out there to like get settled. But something interesting, if you're a young person who's potentially into this, is a lot of older farmers don't have people to take over their land and they're willing to lease it out to you at a really good price. So that's probably what we're going to be looking into. We don't have the details finalized at all. Um, it's just one of those things that we just know is going to happen.
0: Do you know kind of like where you want to start as far as you know what livestock you want to?
1: Oh, uh, for sure. You cut
0: your teeth on, or what are you planning on doing there?
1: Yeah, so I th- another thing that we're super passionate about is poly species grazing because mm. each animal plays a very unique role in repairing the soil. And another piece about being a sustainable carnivore is, I get the beef only approach, but I don't think that that is a sustainable way to eat this way of life. Eat this way for the rest of our lives. I think that. All animals play a purpose. Um, and if you also think about this evolutionarily, like animals were rotating and grazing across across the plains. So we will definitely be doing ruminants. Um, so probably starting with cattle and then maybe goats, because goats are really good at turning a really crappy area into. So basically, let's say you have like a really shrubby area. It's a good idea to put goats on there first, that they can bite down those shrubs, stomp on all over them, and then you can put the cattle on there. Um, so we may start with like goats, ca- uh, ca- uh, cows, and then- Pigs. Definitely pigs and chickens. So those will probably be like our main staples to start with. Um, it really depends on the quality of the land that we get as well. Cause putting pigs and goats on the crappy land first is super important and then rotating the cows in. Um, and then, of course, the chickens are an important piece of this whole holistic grazing puzzle because they help spread the chicken, the cow poop. So, if you have your chicken follow your cow, your cows around, they can spread the cow poop, which will also ultimately be uh, remineralizing and um, adding life back into the soil.
0: Do you? I know this is like getting super into the specifics here, but do you all have any idea, like, how many head? Of cattle y'all want to start with how many goats like how 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 daunting is this going to be at the gates
2: oh so that'll just depend on how much land we get because i think there is like an optimal amount of head per acre yeah Mm. for sure and ah man i think we would start like literally just for our first year we would try to make it really manageable because like we're gonna fail like four times before we get something right and so I'd rather fail on a smaller scale and learn, and then we go larger. So one of the farms so that we small
1: scale to begin for for sure. I'm I'm thinking like five, yeah, five cows, <laughs> five, five cows. cows. So one of the farmers that we interact with a lot, um, he's on his like third year of farming, and so he we've learned a lot from him. He's he has failed a ton in his first two years, but he wants to help us not make those same failures. And one thing that he has noted is that, especially in our climate, it is really hard to keep young calves alive, Um, and so that's going to be another learning curve. And so we don't want to like overbuy young calves and then not be able to keep them alive. So let's say five. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. It's somewhere around there.
0: What about like um, like the goats, for instance? Are y'all going to, you know, are are you going to offer some grain to these like during the winter months, or what are y'all planning on doing there?
1: So the, for, um, pigs and chickens, we will be feeding them grain. Um, those are monogastric animals and it's just simply not productive to the farmer, um, if you only feed them grass. And so for goats and cattle though, they do not need grain. Uh, Mm. we would, we would not pay. They'll just get hay in the, in the winter months. Alan's Alan Savory has some like great resources for how to deal with like 100% grass-fed and finished ruminants in the cold months. And so we'll definitely be using some of his practices. I I don't have those. I need to spend like a solid couple of months really diving into his stuff and honestly may just go out there and visit for a few months. Um, But I think in terms of like the one thing we have thought about is the
2: type of kettle that would thrive. Yes. So since we're going to be in a very cold environment, and I don't know what it's like around you. Not as cold. um, Cold?
0: Not not near as cold as. Michigan. Not as cold. Oh, yeah.
2: oh well, have you heard of like Highland cattle? Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're like the cutest ones possible.
1: So we'll probably end up with those because they have a lot of hair to thrive mm-hmm. in the colder temperatures. So they're totally fine being out in the snow for long periods of time.
0: So this is this is cool because like we this is so fulfilling because just in the years that you know we've had lambs and cattle. We used to raise cattle uh, on my family farm, and now we just have the like, lambs and horses and whatnot. But like i went and slaughtered a, a lamb two weekends ago and i cooked it up for our entire crew here at keto brick and oh like nothing beats like having a an animal that you raised slaughtered and then cooked within like 24 hours like it just doesn't get any better than that
1: yeah that is so amazing that we are really looking forward
2: to that did you taste like the difference between the fresh meat versus like aged
0: yeah i mean there's there's so there's a lot of good things with age to be like that's why a lot of people will age like their cattle, they'll hang it for four weeks or so. Um, yeah but like there's a whole another palate profile when you have like just super fresh. That's why I love hunting. Like when I hunt and I kill a deer, like I'll I'll take the tenderloins or something out that night and I'll cook that that oh, that's same day. Um uh, because it's like it's not aged, so you're you're getting, you know, less maturity in that sense, but like just the freshness of it. It's kind of like when you catch a fish and you eat the fish immediately. Like it's just hard to beat.
1: Yeah.
2: That is so cool. See, Those are what the experiences we want to have. Yeah. I'm envious of you right now.
0: And see, it's cool because I mean, I grew up doing this kind of stuff, but you know, I always did it in the context of like, you know, there with my folks. I mean, I was young. Uh, I'm excited to do it on my own, in my own way, my own style and document it. Because when I was a kid, I wasn't doing YouTube like Keto Savage wasn't a thing like I had no brand there was no media whereas yeah. now I have these these resources and I want to be able to document this journey as well and it sounds like we're going to be doing this at about the same time which is even cooler
1: oh That's absolutely awesome. we'll we'll be able to share and help each other, other. hopefully we can learn from each other <laughs>
0: yeah and I think honestly like it's it's cool to see people because how old are y'all if you don't mind me asking
1: so Ashley here. I'm 27, but I got carded at a rated R movie the other week. So I act, uh, so people think I'm 17. <laughs> I'm 23. 23
0: and 27. Okay, I'm I'm 28. Um, so I I feel like it's cool that, you know, people of our generation are even interested in this kind of stuff because I feel like there's this shift that's occurred over the past uh you know 20 30 years where people have just gradually moved away from this like it's no longer cool to get your hands dirty like people don't even know how to put on a pair of boots or work gloves anymore like splitting wood is just an art of the past it's weird uh, but like this is just stuff that I've always loved I've always been passionate about so to see it kind of like become sexy again is just awesome
1: see I would argue that it's not though like it's still not
0: it's definitely still not on a grand scale but I feel like there's little pockets the and niches. Yeah. Oh and I, for sure. I feel like within the keto and carnivore space specifically, because there are definitely, you know, subcultures within this eating genre that it's like, okay, I see the benefit and the advantage to doing a nose to tail. I see the importance of knowing where your food comes from. And then when you kind of go down that path, you inevitably come to this conclusion of, Okay, I need to be able to sustainably raise my own food. Let's learn how to do that, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely! The idea of self-sustainability is just fascinating to us.
0: What about like, what about growing, you know, your own crops and kind of like having a, you know, your own sustainably grown vegetables and stuff? Like, is that something that appeals to you all, or are you just gonna keep it strictly meat?
2: Yeah, I think that you can't have like regenerative animal-based agriculture without having the crops too. Like, they go hand in hand, and we're talking like organic, holistically raised or grown plants. And we don't know enough about this either, but that's something we're interested in. And like, yes, we are full carnivore right now, but if I could, especially when I start having kids, like if I could have my own garden and grow my own produce, I'm going to have my kids out there in the dirt, getting dirty, picking their own fruits and vegetables. I just feel like if it's growing in a healthy soil without the unnecessary toxins, like you're not going to have those issues that you see with a lot of the Produce in the grocery aisles in terms of like the anti nutrients and stuff. I mean, sure, they're still going to be there, but I think that there's something to be said about growing your own in a really healthy manner and like raising kids in this environment. That's something we're totally interested in. And then just the whole culture of fermenting your own um, vegetables as well, like, you know, sauerkraut, kimchi, pickles. I think that there's something to be said about that too. Those are things we're very interested in. It's just right now in our life, they don't fit in as much. But I think that's. That's just a whole nother
1: world to dive into. Oh, absolutely. I so we we brought up in the beginning that we live in the middle of Illinois, and so during the winter, there is no local produce. and so that's another reason why we've been pretty strict carnivore in the last few months. It turned last summer we weren't exactly that strict because we were incorporating local produce, and I plan to do the same thing um, this summer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: especially once we get to growing our own crops too yeah.
0: You know, it's funny because I don't really eat any vegetation. I mean, I don't really feel any improvement in my performance with it. Um, But the same is true with, like, when I drink a glass of wine. Like, I drink a glass of wine because I I want to be able to, you know, taste that and savor that and, like, just enjoy that moment. And I I kind of equate eating, like, a big salad that I've grown the same way. Like, I'm not necessarily seeing a physical benefit in my performance from it because I am definitely more gravitating towards, like, the – meat-based carnivore esque type of eating. But there's so much to be said for like growing your own food, you know, taking care of it, making sure there's not any, you know, pesticides and toxins in there. And then, you know, especially if you have kids having them be involved in that and then making a meal out of it. Like there's a lot to be said for that, even if it isn't making an enhancement towards your performance.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, we agree that like, it doesn't necessarily add any benefits for mental or physical performance. But I also think it plays a huge role in terms of the mindset of I don't have to restrict, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So like having the mindset of I can incorporate these things from time to time because I can. Whereas instead of viewing it as like, oh, no, no, that's that's not a can't include that. That's not part of my diet. I just don't like that restrictive mindset. And so I, I agree having these things that you grow from time to time just for enjoyment is a super important piece of all this.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And I feel like, you know, there's, there's so much good in the carnivore circles, but like the the pendulum has often swung so far one direction that things are demonized that never really should have been demonized. I mean, there can't be that much wrong with like this piece of, uh, you know, rhubarb that you grow in your own garden (laughs) that you take care of. I mean, it's not going to kill you. And I feel like there are probably some inherent benefits that come from that. So I feel like rather than demonizing that let's just make the most of it accept it for what it is and then balance it out with a majority meat-based plate and you're probably gonna be fine
1: exactly yes exactly
0: so yeah we're speaking the same language there for sure yeah well what's what's on the horizon you got obviously a lot of stuff going on here with the plans to to do the regenerative agriculture have your own farm and ranch at some point in the near future what what lies between that and and where you are currently like what what's in the near future
1: so Ashley here, I've got to finish my PhD. Um, I've got three more papers to finish up. And so I will be finishing sometime in the year 2020. Um, we've got the cookbook coming
2: out uh, with Dr. Paul Saladino. So that'll be out sometime early summer,
1: hopefully. And then we just made uh, released our own book called Organ Cyclopedia. And it's just a really super easy, practical guide to getting into more nose to tail eating. And you don't have to be carnivore to like use this book. It's just, we had to take like a mental shift to be able to adopt this new way of eating after coming from a plant-based um, diet. And so we talk about our experience, the mental shift required, why you should eat nose to tail from a sustainability piece. And then we go over like over 20 different offcuts. And talk about their taste and their texture and our favorite way to cook them. So it's kind of like getting someone started into this nose to tail way of eating.
2: So that's another thing. And then as far as resources go, we have another large resource that will be coming out probably early summer too. That's going to help people um, with their nutrition within carnivore. So we're really excited about that one. But until then, we'll just be vlogging our lives every single day on YouTube as we go.
0: I meant meant to bring this up. I'm definitely going to have to talk about this before we close but the the daily vlogs what have what have y'all thought about doing that so far because y'all just recently started doing those up
1: oh my gosh it's so
2: much fun so like we were saying in the beginning like now that this is just we live and breathe this stuff and we're so passionate about it it's so easy to share and daily vlogs it's in part selfish because in like five years from now we're gonna be able to look back and know what we did and ate every single day and it's just so much fun to document these things and then to get like one comment back that like oh you know, I went carnivore for a week and I'm feeling so much better. It's like impact somebody just because we shared our experience and we, we showed that it could be normal and enjoyable and approachable. It's so rewarding. It's very, it's, it, you're on YouTube too. So I'm sure, you
1: know, it's not easy to do this
2: no, all the time, not at all. but
1: it, it is rewarding. And personally, we've, we feel like there's, there's a ton of like, discussion of like the science side of carnivore and like why this way of eating is better but i don't think there's enough practical demonstrations of how to adopt this way of life yeah. especially for our generation so we're really trying to connect to our generation and be like hey guys like we're normal i would say kind of maybe we're a little odd but yeah. <laughs> we're normal and this is how we incorporate this way of life and we've never felt better um so it's definitely it it's but it's easier and easier as we are as we are moving getting more aligned with our like passions yeah
0: I love it yeah the the daily vlogging is is brutal but I but I love it as well I mean there there's times where I'll go through you know a very very consistent period of daily vlogging and then there's times in life where I do like like right now I'm doing uh, a Monday Wednesday Friday video but documenting your journey on YouTube is so incredibly rewarding and it it takes a lot of you know. Discipline to, to pump out content like that but I think you know into the future and I'm like you know this this is like our our generation's photo album like I love sitting down at the dinner table at my parents house and flipping through all their old photo albums of people that I didn't really get to know or like young pictures of my parents and I think of like the daily vlogs is what my kids will be able to look back on and see in me and kind of be a photo album for today's day and age
1: Oh, that's it right. that's a great point i, I haven't really that. thought
0: of that yeah.
2: and yeah, so. honestly just like we're so both of us will eventually be like learning how how to farm properly and stuff I, you've had more experience but documenting that for somebody else in this generation who wants to get into it themselves is just like invaluable totally because you don't agree. there's that content doesn't exist doesn't right exist. now so it's just a lot to look forward to.
0: What, what are some other, like, is there any other just really good resources that you have found, like, in just in, in digging? Like, if somebody listening to this wants to be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to get into raising my own hobby farm, like, where would you point them?
2: Yeah. Okay. So, one of the best things you could do is just find a local farmer at eatwild.com and then just talk to them. But other favorite resources online is, like, the Savory Institute. So, Alan Savory has just put invaluable information out there in terms of, like, what holistic Farming and grazing is Um, one of our favorite farms that does this right is white oak pastures, so we are affiliates with them, so you can use code strong sisters, but they are great because they talk a lot about poly species grazing and so that's where we learned all of that information and they are always willing to educate you. And they have lodging at their farm, and, yes. and they love having people come and visit them. Yeah, so you can go out there and actually experience it. But in terms of like the best place to go, would just be the Savory Institute, and then sure. look at the accredited hubs. And there's like Cabrejo Ranch or Alder Spring Ranch, and so these are places that really do it right on a large scale, and so they have more resources resources to help people in this generation out. And you can go take classes, you can get certified in certain things. So. I'm currently doing, like, their holistic management course to get certified in that. Um, hey, maybe maybe all three of us can
1: go visit <laughs> and do, like, a one-week – Oh, my God. We could vlog every day. Let's do it. Uh, one-week, <laughs> we like, regenerative course at, like, Alan Savory's Ranch. Or something. That's definitely the, the let's top resource I would point
0: to. Let's do it after my competition so that I can hopefully eat something there.
1: <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> Wait, when it, when's your comp?
0: Uh, I've got a few, but the first one's the 28th of this month, and then the main one is the 18th of next month.
1: Oh okay, I won't be. I gotta finish. Oh yeah, I just saw your your update picture too. I can totally tell you're getting there.
0: We're getting closer for sure.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That'll be so fun. To... Well, cool. That's so yeah. Those are the
2: top, just like overarching resources, I'd say.
0: Well, let's let's 100% keep in touch because I feel like our interests are pretty well aligned right now, and I feel like we can both offer a lot of value to the space because. I too want to see more people take an interest in this both nose to tail regenerative agriculture you know farm to table like everything that we're talking about here I feel like people especially the younger people I mean the the crowd that we are in, in our our kids generation like that's going to be what make or breaks the planet and they Absolutely. need to take an interest in this stuff
1: Absolutely I agree
2: entirely I just want to add in that I'm wearing my Live Savage sports bra and
1: it's
0: wonderful. That <laughs> well, just made my day right there. I'm glad to hear that.
1: <laughs> that <was her. laughs>
0: awesome, awesome. Well, where can people go to find out more about y'all and follow along?
1: Yeah, so like Sarah said, we vlog on YouTube, strong.sistas, and then our Instagram handle is the exact same strong.sistas. Somehow we do both story and vlog. I don't know. Yeah. We're like double filming most of our day. Um so we have a website, it's Armstrongsisters.com. So
2: we got really fancy with that one. And, and so there's then, actually
0: an R in that one, but yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, proper. Gotcha. Um, and we just started Twitter, but we're really new to Twitter. But it's Armstrong, or sorry, strong underscore sisters. So probably just find us on Instagram and YouTube and go from there.
0: <laughs> so do y'all like ever fight, or like what, what happens when y'all are like in an argument? Like does the whole business suffer, or like are y'all gonna be inseparable from now until forever? <laughs>
2: okay it's hilarious so we of course we get in like little hissy fits but I think that we're so on the same mission right now that we both recognize like within the next five minutes that like being sorry a biatch is just not going to get you
1: anywhere so just Mm -hmm. get over it like don't be a baby about it and then when we do get into like a brief fight that lasts like 20 seconds one of us says hey 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 Neither of us are against one another, so just let's take a step back and realize what is happening. Yeah, and then we like laugh about something and move on. Yeah,
0: it's funny. <laughs> so because, it happens. It does. Yeah, I mean, like y'all are, you know, sisters, and I, I, you work together, and it works well. Like so many people have a problem working with, you know, their their family, their spouse, significant other. Like I've I've built this business alongside my wife Crystal, and. I was super hesitant to do that at first, as I'm sure y'all may have been in the beginning, I'm not sure, but like it's kind of like you hear so many people have these negative uh you know outlooks on working with someone you're really close to. but if it does work, it's like so much better than it could ever be without that person.
1: Oh, absolutely. and I think it really comes down to sharing two things to so like sharing past experiences, but also sharing the same passions and morals and if you can align with those then i think you're going to have a better chance to oh, succeed yeah. i would not redoing this without her
0: 100 percent. well very cool well strong sisters it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast um if there's ever anything i can do please don't hesitate to reach out and let's definitely keep in touch as we kind of dive into this venture of regenerative agriculture and farming and all the things that we're about to do
1: yeah, let's do it. Let's make farming cool again for our generation. Yeah. Amen to that. Good let's make it happen. Competition. We'll, we'll be following along on Instagram. Yeah, good luck.
0: I appreciate it, y'all. Good luck as well.